The Enneagram type one is a is known as either the reformer or the perfectionist, depending on you know what what method you go off of. But both are very interesting aspects of being a type one. For example, the reformer tends to be somebody who goes in and looks for problems and wants to solve them. Um, a great example of why I'm a type one is that I often go into rooms and I look for things that are wrong, misplaced, mis- mismatched, um, so that I can fix them. Maybe it's a, a picture out of alignment or it might be um, you know, colors that don't completely go together. Whatever it is, my eyes are always seeking out ways to fix things. As the perfectionist side, um, certainly what that really does to me is it really enhances my awareness of myself. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Advice Not Given podcast. Each week, we share unfiltered, truth-telling conversations between two friends. You're invited to eavesdrop as we give each other the advice you didn't ask for, but wish you did. We're your hosts, Kelly Artis and Claire Wood of Melspo Gurus, and this is Advice Not Given. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the Advice Not Given podcast. You have waited and waited and waited. We have waited and waited, and it is finally here. We are kicking off our first official episode of our Summer of Enneagram, Summer of Self-Awareness. If you listened in last week... You heard a little bit of an introductory episode where we shared some of our resources that we have put together um, as kind of a primer to get started on this series. And now you've done that, hopefully, and you're ready to listen. We're going to be starting in today with Enneagram Type 1, and we're really excited about this entire series. You're going to hear from Kelly and me. You're going to hear probably some pages turning because we are elbow deep with some of our favorite books and uh, teachers. And then you'll also be hearing from some of our listeners who have so graciously shared some of their own personal testimonials about what it's like to be a particular Enneagram type. So Kelly, are you ready? I'm ready. You know, look, I'm a five, so no. I'm going to say, no, I'm not ready, but we're going to do this anyway. (laughs) We're going to do it anyway. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to do it anyway. So one of the things we wanted to mention before we get started is we hope that this will not be a situation where you just wait for the week that is your number and tune in then and ignore the other eight episodes. Um, Our goal and what we're sharing and how we've chosen to kind of break it apart and, and frame out our episodes is that each of you will listen and hear, um, parts of yourself in each of the nine numbers. You will hear today, even if you're not a one, you will hear parts of what it means to be a one um, and identify with that. And beyond just yourself, you will hear things that you know about people that you love, like spouses and friends and family members. And um, so we're hoping that this is helpful for you uh, across the board and not just, you know, pick and choose one or two episodes um, only based on your type. Kelly, you want to add anything to that? No, I think, yeah, it's just a matter of like, you've got a dominant type. Everyone has like this dominant like energy that they gravitate to and it's anchored around a core fear, core motivation. So you're going to hear that language throughout. Um, but we all have access to all of the nine types just at different levels, right? And it's funny, Claire, the the deeper I'm getting into some of the the, the more books and the newer books I'm reading, it's you, you really have some that are kind of um, hidden away 
or, right. or pushed away that you're disconnected from. And part of the work is to reconnect with the types that you feel the least amount of attachment to and right. try to dig up and uncover those, those qualities and traits that you have buried somewhere deep down. You've just kind of dissociated from, um, which I find that fascinating. So um, that's, that's something that I'm super interested in. So yeah, as Claire mentioned, we're going to try to uncover um, parts and traits and energies, uh, good or bad, <laughs> of each of the nine types that we see present in our own kind of daily lives as a part of our self-observing, self-noticing, self-awareness uh, practice. So, Absolutely. And again, for those who may not have completely identified with the type at all and you're still searching, hopefully this will be a very, very productive exercise, which leads me to the perfect segue of our first little mini segment of this episode is you might be a one if. Okay, so I would like for you to think through some of these statements I'm going to share. And if this sounds like you, you might be a one. Do people see you as serious? No nonsense. Do people see you as um, being someone who is sometimes judgmental or do you even just feel like a judgmental person, like within your own head? Sometimes that judge can be wise or discerning, but sometimes it's just really stern and harsh. Um, You might be a one if you've always tried to be really honest and objective with yourself or about yourself. Um, And if you have been very determined to follow your conscience, no matter what the cost. You might be a one if you have ever thought you need to laugh more (laughs) and do it more often. You might be a one if you don't understand sometimes why other people have such lax standards. You might be a one if you have a very personal sense of mission, maybe even something you've called a calling to something or someone higher than you. Um, And you believe that there's something extraordinary that you may need to accomplish during your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And lastly, you might be a one if you've ever felt that your responsibilities fall so heavily on your shoulders and that maybe you haven't quite risen to the occasion and only God knows what might have happened if you had. Wow. That's a lot. Oh, you once. Oh, you ones. So, um, so yeah, if you were hearing any of those statements, uh, take note, um, again, listen to all nine episodes before making any kind of decisions about your type. But, um, I think Claire, I don't know about you, but I feel like of all the types, everyone I usually talk to seems to resonate a little bit with type one. Um, I think mainly because of that inner critic and because the, the perfectionism, um, And it's funny, like I, sometimes when I talk to people, it's like, well, everyone makes a to-do list, right? right? Most everyone, but they may do it for different reasons, right? So it's not just like, I challenge you guys listening to like peel back, peel back past the, the, you know, morality or the, um, you know, being able to discern right from wrong. Cause hopefully we all can do that, you know? <laughs> um, but that doesn't make you a one just because you can do that. Right. Um, I think that's really important. How have you seen one, type one showing up for you? For me personally? Oh, mm-hmm. I see it a lot. Well, first of all, you've maybe heard me mention on here before I live with a one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of times that I feel like some of our conflict maybe is because of my oneness also showing through. I definitely mm-hmm. feel like I live with that judge inside of my head. Um, I definitely put high pressure on myself and then kind of feel frustration when other people maybe don't live up to that same standard. Um, 
feel that same sense of calling and mission in life. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. And I think I would I should have pulled it up, but I think one is in my top two or three numbers from when I did the Enneagram Institute test. Okay. So it's oh, definitely it's definitely up there. What about you? Do you feel like you what are your one traits? You know, I, I don't have a lot of them. <laughs> um and it's funny, I've read a couple of places that fives and ones can often kind of mistype a little bit. Um I can catch a typo on a page really quickly. Um, so I always kind of like think of that as a little bit of my one. Um, I have become more attuned to the traits of the one and the struggles of the one because I kind of feel like my daughter is leaning that way. Um, and it helps me understand if she does end up becoming a type one or dominant in type one, um, that it's helping me understand like then her need for like structure and rules mm-hmm. and, and a, and a routine. And I struggle, I don't feel the same need. <laughs> right. So she struggles with that. And I've, I've called her inflexible before, which I feel is probably not fun for her to hear. Um, so I'm having to work on that and make sure that I need to like follow through with things that I tell her I'm going to do when I'm going to do them, because to her, it's a huge deal, um, mm-hmm. as it would be to other ones. And I'm also really cognizant of that inner critic aspect of the one. So most ones really, 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 really struggle with this inner critic. Um, I've even heard it said before, people think they're a type one, but they say they don't struggle with an inner critic, then they can go ahead and cross that off and move on. Um, It's kind of one of the telltale signs. Like, and it's not even just a, like a a small little voice on your shoulder. It is like. Megaphone on both shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you'll hear a little bit about that with our guest. Um, that will come on to talk about being a one, but it is, it is, it is a constant daily struggle. And that's part of how, um, they're kind of always in tension with themselves and the world around them. So, well, and I think too, speaking of shoulders, like things on a shoulder of a one, I think there's also a very heavy weight that sits on there because I think there's the sense that, um, my way is right. I might as well just do this myself Um, I know the right way to do it. And that can get heavy. That can be a heavy burden to carry around a lot. So I was listening to the Chris Hewart's interview that Brene Brown did on Mm -hmm. her podcast with him. Mm -hmm. And she's a type one. um, And she, he was telling her like, I'm sorry, you know, if your husband's listening, I'm going to just apologize to him because if you guys get into a fight, it's probably really hard to move forward because ones are always right. And she kind of laughed. He was like, but no, but they really, they actually are always right. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they have this like intuitive way of knowing like this is right or this is wrong. And they're very yeah. like ideal in that and very like strongly convicted about those things where yeah. most of us, it takes us a bit longer to arrive there. And if so, yeah. if you're in an argument with a one, like it's really hard to concede that, okay, nope, you were right. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're always right. <laughs> and interacting with the one, I would say like, yeah, there's just most of the time. And I'm pretty, pretty particular. Like when I know I'm right, I'm pretty much knowing I'm right too. But um, Mm -hmm. living with a one, I've had to just kind of let that go and be like, he can think he's right. That's okay. It it matters more to him (laughs) than it does to me. (laughs) I'll concede. And maybe it's just not worth that fight. (laughs) Hi, my name is Kimberly Robertson and I am an Enneagram type one. The Enneagram type one is a is known as either the reformer or the perfectionist, depending on, you know, what, what method you go off of, but both are very interesting aspects of being a type one. For example, the reformer tends to be somebody who goes in and looks for problems and wants to solve them. Um, a great example of why I'm a type one 
is that I often go into rooms and I look for things that are wrong, misplaced, mis- mismatched, um, so that I can fix them. Maybe it's a, a picture out of alignment, or it might be um, you know, colors that don't completely go together. Whatever it is, my eyes are always seeking out ways to fix things. As the perfectionist side, um, certainly what that really does to me is it really enhances my awareness of myself. Um, Oftentimes I can be um, a little bit more seeking the perfect idea or right or wrong or black and white thinking. And as a perfectionist, I think that that can be struggling at times, but also can be very good because you're always seeking for progress. So what are some of the, for our people listening, um, walk us through maybe some of what uh, one's basic fear is or some of their fixations or. um, Yeah. yeah. So you guys will hear this language anytime you're reading Enneagram books or whatever. We talk about these kind of like, um, you know, categories of, of, of describing each type. So we'll go through this for each one. Um, So a one's basic desire, their core motivation uh, is to be good. And to have integrity. So that deep down in their their soul, they need to be good. So everything kind of orients around that desire, that motivation. So their top fear, basic fear, which is usually just the flip or the inverse of your desire, um, is of being bad, um, imbalanced or corrupt in some way. Um, and that's, oh, that's heavy. But yeah, that's the basic fear. Um, so everything that they do is going to orient around um, soothing that fear. Uh, the fixation that ones tend to have. And when we say fixation, we're talking about this mental sort of veil um, that happens, like that detaches them from their purpose, right? So the fixation of a one is resentment. So that's how their core emotion um, shows up for them, right? They become resentful. It's an internalized sort of um, manifestation of the anger, which is right. their passion or struggle that um, they have a- they have easiest access to. That is the thing that they they struggle with, but is internalized anger. So you're not really seeing it on the outside. You're not seeing like, you know, if you disagree with a one, they don't necessarily like rage at you, but that that anger turns inward as resentment towards you, and then also as that inner critic voice that is like angry at themselves, um, right. especially if they mess up or do something wrong. So. Um, you know, bringing it back to potentially my daughter, you know, if she's, she's the child that gets, you know, the 98 on a test and her like week is ruined. Right. And I can't even say I'm like, what's going on in that head? Like, stop, stop, Because she stop. doesn't care what the 98 that she got right. She cares the yeah. two that she got wrong. <laughs> Cause it could be better. It could be good. Yeah. It could. Yeah. So those are kind of, um, and then the holy idea basically, um, one's purpose. Um, and I have one book that defines it as, um, their spirit, the spiritual dimension of each type mm-hmm. is holy perfection. So knowing that everything is perfection, just as it is, including the imperfections combined with serenity is an open hearted acceptance of all that occurs. So that is like the, that's the beauty that a one can bring to the world and that they have right. been disconnected from because of their ego and because of this, like, veil of personality and all of the defense mechanisms and coping strategies that kind of disconnects them from that. So that is, that is what's out there. That is what's available to you as a one, but it's also something that you have to work really hard to try to uncover again in yourself. And then the last thing is the virtue of 
serenity. Um, so that is something to just kind of hang on to. If you can, if you can move through the fixations and all of the, the, um, the struggles and the passions, there is serenity, uh, for you that's available to you that you can access and that you could bring to the world yourself as well. So, and another teacher calls what you're referring to as serenity, um, Marilyn Bansell refers to it as just grace and peace mm. and patience. And those are the things that not only do you hope you, you know, as a one, you exercise toward others, but really you're exercising toward yourself mm. as that person, as that image bearer who, um, you know, is reflecting that just being just be who you are. It's not it's not anything you're doing. It's just who you are. And I love that. Yeah. So as it happens, I learned about the Enneagram through an employer. Um, It was about six or seven years ago. And as part of the onboarding process, the company that I worked for actually brought in these Enneagram type systems tests that we we all would take voluntarily. Um, And what it did was it actually helped us understand each other better. So when you're coming into a new organization, there's so many culture shifts, there's people who who handle situations differently. And what I did was it allowed me to first learn about it, but also it taught me how other people are motivated. For example, if I'm speaking to a type five um, Enneagram, I might go to them, give them information, walk away, and then follow up later because that's how they enjoy and that's how they get information. Whereas a type three on my team might've been somebody who I'm always praising. I'm always putting them in the spotlight. I'm giving them opportunities to shine. So this company really took that approach to everybody that all types were necessary in a team environment, but understanding how you interact yourself and then how do you interact with other people was a very important process for the, the company culture. Um, they even brought in a trainer who was trained on it about a couple times a year so that the newer staff could get up to date on it and really dive into the books. So let's talk about a one in stress. Um, so if you guys are familiar with the symbol of the Enneagram, you're going to notice that each number is also connected to four other numbers in the system. So they're either on the side of each number and connected by that circle that goes around the outside, or they are connected via these crisscrossy lines that go back and forth across uh, the inside of the circle. So if you look at your type one, the type one has two arrows that go into and away from um, its type. So what we're going to talk about is the stress arrow. And there's a lot of different perspectives and different ways to talk about this movement. We'll refer to it as a movement. A lot of people like stress and security. Some people like integration, disintegration. Um, I've even heard refuge and vantage. Um, mm-hmm. So they're a heart yeah. type or, or stress type. Um, so there's a ton of different ways to keep it simple and really high level. We're just going to go with stress and security. Um, we can have much headier conversations about this later on. <laughs> but for now, let's stick with that. So the one is connected um, to type four. Um, and also seven, which we'll talk about later, but let's talk about the, the connection to type four. So when a, when a one is in stress, um, like the lower levels of type one, um, they're going to kind of 
become really, really hyper fixated on correcting everything, fixing everything. And that's where you're hearing that, you know, judgmental and inflexible, those sorts of words, right? And I just want to add real quick, when we talk about a number moving to its lower level or like the way it disintegrates, we're talking about four, like the low part of a four too, right? We're not talking about a four at their best. Maybe we're talking about the one taking on negative qualities of a four. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it totally can be right. And so there's, this is something that I'm learning too. Like you can, you can, all right. So think of each type as like a silo, right? Like a silo on a farm and you've got, you know, almost like an elevator, right? You've got floors one through, I think it goes to nine, um, of each type, right? So you can get on that elevator and you could ride all the way up to type six, seven, eight, nine, you know, or floor seven, eight, nine. That's your healthy. That's super healthy, Mm -hmm. right? Most of us sit somewhere in the middle. And when we say we fall to lower levels, it means you're, you're falling down in your levels of health. So you're becoming more unhealthy in your type. You're acting out, you're behaving badly. Um, so when you fall to the lower levels of type one, um, or, you know, depending on how fluid or fluent you are with the Enneagram, you can kind of make these moves more intentionally, but let's just pretend like you don't do this intentionally and you start acting badly in type one. And what happens is your ego decides my needs are not being met right now, right? behaving this way. So I need to try something else. So what your ego does is say, well, let me just step over here to type four and see if that works any better for me. What happens a lot of times is that you, you, when you make that move unintentionally, you walk out the bottom level of type one and you walk in the ground floor of type four. Right. <laughs> and that's not a good move, you guys. But what that looks like, so you can see that it's happening. Once again, take a minute, stop, observe yourself, right? Be an inner witness. Um, when you go to four in stress as a one, you're taking all the bad behaviors of type one and then you're overlaying bad behaviors of type four on top of that. So what happens is when a one gets stressed out, they're, you know, they're judgmental, they're rule followers, they're constantly looking for imperfection everywhere. And their world is always, always, always on fire. There is no good to be found, right? It's right. like every room they come in, they're super critical. You know, you've seen this, right? Yeah. Um, so well, not you. I'm sorry. Ryan, you're amazing. No, I know what you mean. I wasn't <laughs> but, personalizing but, it to <laughs> um, that's why we're gonna have to not do that. I'm like, okay, we just wait till we get to eight. Um <laughs> so um and they redirect, they get really frustrated. They're not necessarily angry. Um, they're just frustrated and they redirect that anger, um, towards themselves. So what happens is when they go to four in a, in a low way, in a, in an unhealthy way or an automated way, um, they become really dramatic and moody and irrational. Um, but what can happen though, is if you start to learn how to make this move in a healthy way, you can go to four and have the four help complement you and give you the tools that you need to be able to survive or to get through or to find a way to have your needs met. So the beauty that a type four can bring to a one in stress is learning how to name the anger right? So fours are super in touch with their emotions. They understand the deepest, darkest recesses of their hearts, right? But a one has really low access to that unless they can tap into the four. So what can happen with a high move or a move to a four, like on a higher level is picking up a hobby maybe and learning to embrace imperfections. Uh, Maybe it's, you know, coloring in a coloring book with your child and letting them color outside the lines. And maybe you do too. And it's okay. And it's still beautiful. Um, So it allows them to mourn and accept things. And again, helps them name their emotions and tap into um, 
another way to sort of vent and to blow that steam off in a creative or artistic way. And we're going to see this with all the types, but I love how it's, it's literally, it's the one in the body center moving to the four in the heart center and, Mm. and that shift even that takes place from, you know, visceral gut feeling, you know, to heart emotion feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's more, it's really like this beautiful, like letting go of fixing everything and making everything right and perfect and embracing the imperfections. So it really is just teaching you how to like accept more of you, right. (laughs) You know, and, and accept all of the fragments as Chris Hewitt says that lay claim to the whole, right? Like all of that is beautiful. Love it. Well, and what's funny about Chris Hewitt's and imperfection is, you know, in his newest book, Brene Brown writes his introduction and she talks about how for years she kind of just kept the Enneagram at arm's length and like really people would ask her about it and she just wasn't that into it. And then when she started to really start thinking about figuring out her type, she, I think she says she Googled a book list about specific books for each type. And her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, was on the list for ones. And she was like, well, there you have it. There you have it. Yeah. Yeah. And without living in the skin of a one or the body of a one, right, it's hard to understand how powerful that is. But I think it really is like freedom. You know, you think of a one, if you are a one or maybe you know of a one in stress, you are seeing someone who is very perfectionistic, very judgmental, rigid, obstinate, uh, critical of others completely serious, can sometimes be abrasive or uptight or demanding. And so those would be qualities. Um, Maybe if you're just kind of wanting a a quick little rapid fire list of words to describe a one in stress, those would definitely kind of encapsulate that experience. So how Enneagram has helped me reduce my health as it relates to my type is it's given me really good awareness of my mindset. Um, I recognize now that I'm constantly seeking something to fix. Something's wrong. Something, you know, it's almost like the negative portion of it can be very um, disarming or it can be very harmful. But knowing this about myself actually disarms me because I'm more aware of this number. Um, you know, when I'm when a number one is in stress, we go to almost the type four. So we tend to isolate ourselves. We become lonely. We we kind of shelter ourselves from um, all of the wrongness in our lives. And then, um, you know, and and so how we try to navigate that is really lean on our our seven side. It's the fun. It's the spontaneous. It's not having a plan for everything. Um, I think ones are typically planners and organizers and people who want order and to help us have more fun and be healthier and be at our highest potential. We seek out our seven self, the one, you know, and so we can be the life of the party when we're healthy, when we're, we're able to let go of some of these challenges. So what it looks like when I'm, I'm at my highest level of health in our type is really a fun-loving person. I'm not considered uptight. I'm not considered controlling or, or, um, or organized, so to speak. I'm just a person who's going to call up a friend and say, you know what would be really great right now? Let's go on a hike. Let's go to the movies. Let's go to dinner. Um, and so I'm often a person who just all of a sudden will switch that, that part of me because I'm feeling confident, because I'm feeling healthy as a... Um, as a type one. The qualities of being a type one that makes me most proud 
is that I have been very successful in my career because I've been given opportunities to fix processes in an organization. Um, I go in and I see the big picture of where they're headed and then I can able to, I can navigate it down to the details of how are we going to get there. Being able to see things from multiple sides, being able to identify uh, opportunities and challenges has really helped me be a successful type one. Um, but even in my personal relationships, understanding that I want to lean towards that type seven side, I want to be more fun loving and more spontaneous has also made me very proud of my 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 evolution as a type one. So we've seen a little bit of what it means to be a one, what some of their fears and fixations might be, how they disintegrate or how they respond um, in stress or lower levels of health. And with all the numbers, we really want to end on a high note and talk about what makes um, each number so special and what makes them so lovable and what parts of you that you see in a one um, are so redeemable and lovable. And um, one of my favorite teachers of the Enneagram is Marilyn Bansell and her book, Self to Lose, Self to Find. She uses the language of our adapted self, which is the one that's responded to these kid life crises or childhood wounds. Mm -hmm. And then um, she talks about the authentic self, which is the the highest version of of a self. And so for a one, um, we talk about these being the redeemed qualities. And we talk about a one who is principled and noble and conscientious, responsible, idealistic, ethical, hardworking, persevering, thorough, a person who works for the good of all and a person who strives for excellence. And I actually love that because um, I think what we're seeing here with a one and low level is it's very inward focused. It's your inner critic. It's your criticism of yourself, your harshness towards yourself that, yes, it can come out toward others. But when a one is hot, flying high, they are really crusaders for others. They are really um, the people who are out there like working for the good of the all and bringing that cause and that calling and that mission that they have. Um, it's not for self, it's for others. And so I, that's one of my favorite things to see in a healthy one is the way they go to work for others. I love that. And I, one thing too, that I want to, I would love to start pointing out for each type is like how to love them well. Yes. Um, so one thing that really, really is strong for me is if you know a one, you have a one in your life, please don't point out when they've done something wrong. Right. They already know, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to start them on that shame spiral because they're going to beat themselves up more than you could ever um, do with words. And they're going to hang right. on to it and kind of replay, replay, replay that in their mind. Um, and I think the reason why we need ones is because we need that moral compass that they bring. Mm-hmm. Just They just embody that. And they are, again, like Claire just said, they're super loyal. If they tell you they're going to do something, they will. It will be done on time. And it will be done really, really, really well and perfect. Yeah. <laughs> they won't let go of it. Um, also, when um, ones are healthy and integrating to seven, uh, they are just super fun and full of life. And it kind yes. of complements. Like it, it gives them, you know, this freedom to like – yeah, to make mistakes and to, to be a little more lighthearted and a little easier on themselves and on others and the environments that they're in. But you can always trust that um, in relationship with a one, uh, they will be honest. Uh, there will be a, a huge level of integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, though, that they will expect the same from you. So it could actually push you uh, to be a better version of yourself, which I think we yeah. could all use. Yeah. And I love and I definitely see this in Ryan as a one in his health 
the playfulness that comes along with a, a healthy one that goes to seven. Um, just that lightheartedness that can accompany that is one of my favorite things as well. So cool. We love you once. You guys are awesome. Thanks for joining us this week on Advice Not Given. For resources and links to all the things mentioned in today's episode, head over to our website at millspogurus.com. That's M-I-L-S-P-O-G-U-R-U-S. If you enjoyed this episode, please help others find us by adding your thoughts to an iTunes review and subscribing so you never miss a show. If you're interested in being a next level supporter of our endeavors, check out our Patreon page. You can pledge as little as a dollar per episode to help us out with expenses. Think of it as eavesdropping on our coffee date, but then sending over a latte. It's a thing. Also, be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook at Gurus, where we keep the conversation going and where you can share your advice not given.